man, what a fantastic reminder of who God is in our lives or who he could be in your life. And I would encourage you to just open your mind and your heart today to what God very possibly wants to change in your life right now. We believe here at Connection that God is at work. I've seen so many lives changed here. I'm excited as I think about through all the years that we've been together, how many people have gone from here, from darkness to light, from lost to found, from dead to alive. And I know that that can happen for you if you'll just open your heart to God. Now, we've been in this series all in. I've got a picture here, and I just, this is a dividing line among the generations. I'm curious how many of you would say this describes my parents' parenting style, or this describes my parenting style. Uh, Did you have a parent who threw you in the deep end of the pool and just said, figure it out? Uh, Do we have that picture up there? I can't see it. Is it up there? Nope. It didn't work. Okay, well... Just picture a kid being tossed in the deep end, and he's saying, but Dad, I can't swim, to which Dad says, well, not with that attitude, you can't. (laughs) As I said, there's a dividing line there between the generations. Some of you are appalled at that, and you're probably a Gen Z or a millennial. Some of us are Gen X or boomers, and we just, this is what it was. We've been talking about going all in for God. He won't do that to you. He lets you choose to go all in, but I'm hoping that by the end of the message today, as we've just gone through the talk today, through the scriptures today, and even if you've been a part of this series where we've just thought about what does it mean to go all in with God, that you're ready to do something with this. That you're ready to say, I'm completely willing to give my life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to let him lead my life. And when you look at what that might do for you, you you can understand that this is scary, but it's scary in a good way. The potential there is huge. And we're talking about going all in for Jesus as a church together as well. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a group that has gone all in with Jesus. You know, for many of us, if you already are a Christian, you've crossed that line and said, I'm, I'm all in. It was probably for you like it was for me. It was a series of discoveries, some insights, some aha moments, some things that I just found uh, as I opened my mind more and more to what God was doing in my life. And uh, maybe as you think about it for you, you would say that's how it was for you. I certainly, as I go through the Gospels that describe Jesus and his ministry and the people who first started being his students and his followers, it was like that for them as well. Uh, you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see his disciples starting to, to come to an awareness of who Jesus was, and he was more than they ever could have imagined at the beginning. And I want to stop just for a second here. There, is a, a, there are a couple of terms if you're reading the Bible that you might get confused about. I used to get confused a lot, so I just want to stop there. What is a disciple, and how is that different than an apostle? Because you'll be reading and you'll sometimes see some of the guys are called disciples, then a whole lot of people are called disciples, and then some of them are called apostles. Is there a difference? Uh, Yes. So a disciple, very simply put, is just a student, it's an apprentice, it's a learner. And it's it's not necessarily a biblical term, it's not just a Christian term. You can be a disciple of anything. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to smoke meat better, so I watch a lot of things on YouTube. And there's a carpenter down in Dallas, Texas that I like, so I'm his disciple. And when I'm learning from someone, I'm a student, I'm an apprentice, I'm a disciple. Jesus had lots of disciples. He had people who would just come up and just wanted to hear him teach. Anyone who's learning from Jesus is a disciple. If you today, even if you're not a Christian yet, if you're learning from Jesus, you're just opening your mind to him, and you're considering his ways, just understand that you're already a disciple. You say, well, I'm not a Christian yet. You don't have, I can't even imagine how you could become a Christian without first being a disciple, because you have to learn. Now, out of all the disciples that followed Jesus and learned about him and listened to him teach, he selected 12 special ones that he called apostles. An apostle is someone who's sent on, on a mission, someone who has authority, someone who is a messenger. 
And so when Jesus picked these 12 apostles out of all of his disciples and set them apart, these are the ones who started the church. Uh, man, I didn't even plan on doing this, so I'm gonna, I didn't even stretch for this. I'm going to try to tell you who they were. So maybe these names familiar, are familiar to you. Remember Simon Peter? Does that ring a bell? And his brother Andrew, James and his brother John, uh, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, Bartholomew. Did anybody count? Was that 12? If it's 13, I'm sorry. You get your money back from the sermon. Uh, look, it's literally not in here. So check my work later. You can watch the recording. So these disciples who started following Jesus, it happened when Jesus was 30 years old, which in the Jewish faith was the age that anyone could start teaching and preaching and being a rabbi. So a 30 years old Jesus leaves his career of being a carpenter and he takes on a new occupation. He's a rabbi and students start coming to him. And it wasn't very long at all, but that Jesus was swamped with people who were coming to hear him preach and teach. Like in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24, it says, News about Jesus spread as far as Syria. And people soon began to bring him all who were sick. And of course, he healed them. Down in verse 25, large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from the Jordan River. You go over to Luke's gospel, chapter 4, verse 37, news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. And this is what just very quickly happened. Jesus starts teaching in a way that people had never heard before. He starts healing people, and they just couldn't get enough of him. It got to where he couldn't even go into a town publicly. He had to kind of sneak in because he would just be mobbed with people, which is really interesting. I don't know how you think about Jesus, but you need to factor in that when people met Jesus, they liked him. And I, 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 they'd never heard a teacher like that before. I like to think on my best days, I'm a pretty good teacher. No one ever follows me around to hear my every word. But they did with Jesus. He literally had no personal space or quiet time. He had to go out into the wilderness to hide from people just to have time to pray to God. If you're a parent, a mom of little ones, you kind of know what that's like. One mom said one of the first skills I learned as a parent was to hide in the bathroom. <laughs> but then you know the fingers come under the door. They're waiting for you. Mom, what are you doing? That was Jesus' reality for three years that he preached and taught. Everybody wanted to be with him. And so he was just literally the best person they'd ever encountered. And these people, wherever they came from, whatever village, whatever town, whatever city they came from, they're becoming disciples. They're learning from Jesus. They're, they're not only hearing these words in a way that they'd ever heard God's words taught before, they're just looking at his incredible example. He genuinely loved people. He cared about them. He knew what was wrong with them, and he didn't shun them, and he didn't shame them, and he didn't scold them. He just helped them, and he healed them, and he had compassion on them, and he fed them when they were hungry. And people just like, this is the best person I've ever met. Which, again, factor this in of your image of God and of Jesus. When people met Jesus, they liked him. I like what Andy Stanley says. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and he liked them. It was a very genuine thing that you can't fake. Now, these people are becoming disciples, and I want to take you to where we're actually going to be for quite a while today. So if you've got a Bible, if you want to find Luke chapter 5, one of the Gospels, we're going to find where Jesus invites some of his disciples to go all in. And by the end of the message, I want you to take to heart their example. I want you to consider going all in. So I'm just going to start here in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, so one day, Jesus, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Remember, they uh, can't get enough of him. Verse 2, he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. 
Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. Simon, this is a guy we will also know later as Peter. Jesus gives him a new name. And it's no coincidence that Jesus ended up at this spot on the lake where these guys just happened to be cleaning their nets after a long night of fishing. He already knew these guys. Simon and his brother Andrew were in a fishing business, and James and his brother John with their dad Zebedee was a little bit up the shore a ways. They had the same fishing business, but they'd already met Jesus. At this point, Jesus may have been preaching and teaching for up to a year. So Simon and Andrew and James and John had seen some miracles. They'd heard a lot of teachings, and so it's not a coincidence Jesus chose this place to go preach and teach. It's not a coincidence that he said to Simon, hey, can I use your boat for a while? Which, by the way, this is just incredibly smart on Jesus' part for two things. Number one, pushing out into the water a little bit gave him some personal space. There's nobody, like, right here as Jesus is trying to teach hundreds or thousands of people. And then, two, just the acoustics of being on a boat, the water. Jesus didn't have to yell to get his voice out there. So he's in the boat. He preaches for a while. Everybody loves it. And uh, there's, a, there's something that's about to happen that just changes Simon's life. As he's just sitting in the boat, kind of watching Jesus do what he does as he's preaching to the crowd. Maybe Peter was behind him. Simon was in the boat just watching the crowd as Jesus spoke to them, watching how intently they were listening to his every word, just like you. That was too long of a delay there. <laughs> I bet people got it immediately when Jesus said something. So verse 4, it was going. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. We're already in the water, Simon. Let's just do a little fishing, which I like what Pastor Mike Bro says about this. It's cool that Jesus preaches and fishes in the same clothes. <laughs> There's some consistency there, right? And I love it that Jesus goes where actual real people live their life. Jesus wasn't like, okay, all of you who would love to be my disciple, come meet me in the temple. Okay, I know it's a long walk for all of you, but he went where real people were. Simon's a fisherman, so he goes to the shore. And he goes where Simon works. If Simon had been a truck driver, they might have met at a truck stop. If he'd been a CEO, they might have met in the cafeteria of the building where Simon worked and did lunch or coffee or something. But Jesus goes where real people are because that's literally what he came here to do. God left heaven and became one of us. The incarnation, he put on skin. He became one of us and came to our neighborhood. And so Jesus has no problem with going into real life. And he says, let's go fishing. So he tells Simon, hey, since we're out here, why don't you just throw your nets in the water one more time and let's just see what happens. Verse 5, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Now, I love Simon's reaction here. If you've ever felt like, can I question God on stuff? Simon just did. <laughs> He's like, I want you, do you notice there's, in verse 5, there's two sentences there. Master, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But, now here's what I want you to imagine. Jesus and Simon are in the boat. Jesus has just offered to Simon that he should put his nets in the water. I want you, after the first sentence, to count to 100 in your head. Okay? Master, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. I'm not going to count to 100. <laughs> but I want you to picture two men looking at each other and Jesus doesn't let him off the hook. Because you know what Simon's thinking. Jesus, come on. You're, you're a rabbi. I don't tell you how to preach sermons because you're good at that. You, you were a carpenter first. You swung a hammer for a living. You 
took a lunchbox to work every day. I respect that, blue collar, just like me. I don't tell you how to build houses. Don't tell me how to fish. What do you know about fishing? Look, everybody knows that you don't fish in the daytime. And we've already fished all night when you do fish and we didn't catch anything. You know what I'm gonna do if I drop the nets in the water? I'm gonna get them dirty and I just cleaned them. This is all what I think is going through Simon's head as he's just standing there after the first sentence. We fished all night, we didn't catch anything. Have you ever felt that way? It's okay, even if you're thinking it, it, you're in church, you have to be honest. Have you ever thought maybe God doesn't always know what he's talking about when he's asked you to do something? You've read something in the Bible, go, oh. And maybe you've never put it in these words, but you're like, okay, Jesus, you've got the religious stuff down pat. If I need help on prayer or spiritual stuff or healing, I know who to go to, but for real life stuff, everyday stuff, like my job stuff, my family stuff, I'll, I'll get this. As if the one who created the universe, the one who created DNA, and the one who created relationships, and the one who created mathematics, and biology, and chemistry, and all of that, doesn't know about real life, doesn't know how stuff works, doesn't know how to fix it when it's broken. I don't know if you've ever explicitly thought that way, but I've just talked to so many people who have their, their religious world and their church world in one pocket, and they've got the rest of the week in another pocket, and they believe that you can't ever let them mix, and you believe that if you ever tried to live your weekday world like you live on Sunday, that you would get taken advantage of, that it would never work, and Jesus would tell you, I think you need to rethink that. Let me ask you a question. If you are truly a student of Jesus, why would you follow him if he's not smart? Why would you ever do what he has to say if you don't think he knows what he's talking about? And if you do think he is who he says he is, maybe you should start trusting him some more. Which is why I love the second sentence. Simon says this, pretty sure that this is probably exactly what he said, master, which is really cool. It's a term of respect. He could have called Jesus teacher, but he didn't. He could have called him rabbi, but he didn't. Master implies a level of submission. If anyone else in the entire world told me to put my nets down, I would tell them where they could put those nets, and I would go back to the shore. But master, because it's you, and I have an inkling of what a person you are, just out of my sheer respect for you, I'm going to do this. I have such a high regard for you. And I want you to think about this. He, we're going to find in a second, he did put the nets down. And what you're seeing here is a very strong, proud man submitting his will to another, submitting his will to Jesus. And this is where you take being a disciple of Jesus and you take it a step up. This is when you elevate your relationship with Jesus. I'm more than just a student now. Now I'm doing what he says to do, and I'm going to see what happens. And that's truly when you start going all in is when you say, Lord, what would you have me do? And I think this is the dumbest thing in the world that you're asking me to do, but I'm going to do it if only just because it's you telling me to do it. I'm going to do what God says to do, even if I think it's not going to work out okay. If I think everybody's going to make fun of me, if I think it's going to ruin my life, my reputation, I'm still going to do what you say simply because it's you saying to do it. You're my master. You're my Lord. Lord literally means boss, master. And Simon's starting to get it. And as a result of that, Simon gets one of the world's greatest fishing stories. 
if only because this is probably the only true fishing story in the whole history of human humanity. Look at verse 6. So they dropped the nets, and at this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Just picture it. The water is roiling with fish. The fish can't get in the nets fast enough. They're straining as hard as they can to pull the nets into the boat, and the nets are ripping. They're in the water trying to scoop fish into the boat. The boats are starting to come down in the water. They're whistling for James and John and Zebedee. Get over here and help us. Do you see what's happening? And I think the whole time they're laughing because they're imagining this is not only going to pay all those bills that we've had hanging over our heads. This is going to set us for the next year or years. We got bank. This is incredible. This never happens. It all started with Simon being willing to be obedient to a thing that made absolutely no sense to him, but because it was Jesus, God in the flesh, asking him to do it, he did it, and look what happened. It completely changed Simon's perspective about Jesus forever. And I want you to think about what's happening here, because this is clearly Jesus did a miracle for Simon. There's, it wasn't just an accident that this happened. Jesus is building faith in Simon he wants him to know, when I tell you to do something, I, number one, have your best interest at heart. I care about you deeply, and I know what's best for you. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to do something that's going to ruin your life. I'm only going to ask you to do something that's going to take you to a better place health-wise, uh, physically, spiritually, mentally. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, just put your trust, put your faith in me, and you'll never regret it. I don't think Simon ever forgot that day in the boat when Jesus said, drop your nets and just see what happens. Just trust me. I love what happens next. Verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. He said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. I think Simon's just having that aha moment, like, oh my gosh, I, how can I be in the same boat with you? He was legitimately scared, which is honestly an appropriate response to being in the presence of Almighty God, Holy God, God who can destroy both body and soul in hell, God. Uh, if you're not a little bit afraid of God, I don't know that you know who God truly is. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's not, you know... It, some of you know it's not a bad thing to be scared of electricity, to be scared of a lion or a tiger or a bear. Things that can kill you, you should be appropriately respectful of. And when we talk about the fear of the Lord, it's not like I'm afraid that God's just out of nowhere just going to smack me or kill me or curse me. No, the fear of the Lord is an appropriate respect for him. And, and Simon has that. And at the same time, I think that Jesus is like cracking up. Simon's like, I shouldn't be in this boat with you. I'm about to die because I know the things that I've said and I've let some things, some words fly when I'm pulling the nets in and I'm not always at synagogue like I'm supposed to be. And Jesus is like smiling and laughing like, dude, it's okay. It's all right. I got you covered. I knew what kind of a person you were before I got in your boat. I knew what kind of a person you were before you were born, to be honest. And I know all the things you're going to do in your lifetime. And I calculated that all in. And I've already decided I like you. I accept you. I want, not only do I want you to be my disciple, I've got plans for you that you can't even imagine for yourself. You're going to be one of my apostles, and you're going to do great things in your life. Look down at verse 10. Jesus replied to Simon, oh, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. You're changing careers here, Simon. Your whole life, you've been fishing. 
We're going to go out. We're going to be sharing good news with people. We're going to be changing people's lives. We're going to be bringing people into God's kingdom. And as soon as they landed, they, who's they, left everything and followed Jesus? Who is the they there? The fishermen, Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John. James and John literally left the nets with their dad Zebedee, and they, they went all in. They, like, they knew who Jesus was. This wasn't just like they just literally just met him that moment. But they went from being fishermen that day to completely, in a huge pivot, changing their entire career. From that point forward, they're dealing with people. They're bringing people into God's kingdom. They drop the nets. And I just kind of have a question for you that you need to really wrestle with today, and that is simply this. Where in your life do you need to drop the nets and go all in with Jesus? What is it that you're hanging on to? And Jesus says, hey, that's part of your old life, and I got something new for you, and you got to let go of the old to have the new. Like, you, you can't go forward with me till you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But, man, I promise you, you're going to love where we're headed. And I love this true story so much because of what it tells us that Jesus is like. Simon Peter is this rough-and-tumble, deadliest-catch kind of guy who, you know, lived on the edge, and, and yet God says, like, I'm— more than happy to work with you. I want you to be part of my team. And maybe you're not much to start, but man, when I get done with you, people aren't going to recognize you. You're going to do great things. And Jesus isn't some elite snob who just expects that you have to get everything all figured out before you ever dare walk into a church. If that was true, none of us should be here. And, and here at Connection, let's just be really clear. Perfect people aren't allowed here because there aren't, there aren't any anyway, so you're just faking it. We accept anyone and everyone because Jesus accepts anyone and everyone. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from being a follower of Jesus. It's a prerequisite. <laughs> there aren't any other kinds of people but sinful people. If Jesus said, I only work with really good people, then he'd be waiting a long time. He literally came here to take us as we are and to make us into what we weren't. And we should have been, but we're going to be. Because Jesus is such a great teacher. And he's patient, and the grace of Jesus teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. It teaches you to say yes to the right things. God's grace is such a great teacher. He doesn't throw you in the deep end and say, figure it out. He walks alongside you. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, enabling you to do. So come on, some of you know this because you're already a Christian. You know what I'm talking about. And you know what you were, and you know what you are, and you know what you hope to be. And some of you may be for the first time dreaming that maybe God could do that in your life as well. You should dream. Because this isn't just a once upon a time. This is actual reality. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been changing lives and changing the world, and it's not going to stop. And, and you've never been somewhere too far away from God that he can't bring you back. You've never done anything so wrong that he can't forgive you and change you and heal it and make it right. And, and Simon Peter had to learn that. It wasn't all peaches and cream and roses and everything from this point forward. Like you, here's the thing, and I hope you understand this. When you go in with Jesus and you say, I'm a Christian, you don't immediately just get zapped and you're suddenly perfect. Simon screwed up a lot from this point forward. And there's this moment where he had this brilliant insight about Jesus that Jesus actually said, God, the Father gave you that insight. Good job, Simon. I'm actually going to change your name. You're now Peter. And it wasn't just a few minutes later that Jesus is saying, now, guys, I want you to know and be forewarned, I'm going to die. And Simon goes, nope, not going to happen. I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus literally had to say, get behind me, Satan. The guy who's doing so well gets rebuked by Jesus, called Satan. 
The night Jesus was betrayed, the night before he died, Simon Peter says, look, all these other idiots will abandon you, but I will never leave you. And Jesus says, you're going to die and deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. And that's exactly what happened. And it didn't matter to Jesus. He, on the other side of his death, burial, and resurrection, found Simon Peter again and said, hey, are you still in? Remember that time in the boat when you dropped the nets and you said you were all in? I know you denied me. Are you back? And Simon said, yeah, I am. And Jesus said, okay, I want you to go feed my sheep. And Simon did. A month and a half after Jesus died and rose again, Simon Peter and the other apostles preached a sermon in Jerusalem. It's a month and a half. He's preaching to some of the people who literally got Jesus killed. And he's preaching with great power. This is the first day of the church. Here we are 2,000 years later from something that Simon Peter started and Jesus did through him. I want you to look at where he ended his sermon that day. Thousands of people listening to him in the temple. Acts 2.36, this is the kicker of Simon's sermon. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts. He's a good preacher. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what do we do? And this is where Peter just got down. I think he just said, look, I, I'm going to tell you exactly this is straight from Jesus to you. And the other apostles were saying it to all the other people who needed to hear it. He said, just do this. Repent. Each of you, repent of your sins. Turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you. It's for your children. It's for those who are far away. I always get goosebumps when I read that because Peter is talking about you and I right now. 2,000 years later, we're the ones who are far away. All to all whom have been called by the Lord our God. And Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and they were added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Do you see what they did? They learned about Jesus. They became disciples of Jesus, and then they went all in. They literally went into the water, and they were immersed in baptism. They received forgiveness. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think some of you need to do that. You need to just say, I'm going to give up my way of life, and I'm going to turn to Jesus. If you've never done that before, we literally exist to help people do that. It's not hard. God did all the heavy lifting. I mean, it's, yes, it's hard to let go of your will and trust him to say, he's my Lord. You'll never regret it. And that day, 3,000 people said yes to Jesus, and it changed everything for them, and you can do that too. There's really some things that you can do today with this. Maybe you've already accepted Jesus as Lord. There's, there's a time on the, the calendar where you just said yes to him. S stay with him. Don't walk away from that. Maybe for you, you said yes to Jesus, but you've just never been immersed, and you know, for whatever reason, just never got around to it. Maybe that's your decision you need to make. Uh, I don't know, maybe for you, you just, this is new, or you, you've heard it, but you've never done anything with it. And for the first time ever, you just need to say, yes, Jesus is my Lord. I believe that God raised him from the dead, and I believe that he has the power to change my life. would love to help you do that today as well. There's a really good Christian movie out several years ago called Woodlawn. I don't know if you've seen it. It tells about a story in the early 70s down in, uh, I think it was Birmingham, Alabama. A lot of racial tension. The Woodlawn High School, the FBI wanted to shut it down. There's just so many things going on with that. But uh, a fellowship of Christian athletes, chaplain, 
named Hank Irwin came to that school and just started sharing the good news of Jesus, led almost the entire football team of the Woodlawn High School to accept Jesus Christ as their savior. And eventually, over time, that transformation rippled out through the school, it rippled out into the community, and it changed things for years to come. But at this point, after the football team, or most of them accepted Christ, things were still new. And they had a football game that they were going into where they were a five-touchdown underdog against this team. The other team was just so good. They were rivals. And surprisingly, though, towards the end of the game, with just a couple of minutes left, Woodlawn was actually up 3 nothing, and everybody was so excited. But that opposing team mounted this huge offensive, scored a touchdown, and Woodlawn lost 7-3. to And uh, Hank Irwin describes going onto that bus after the game, everybody was silent. And as he sat in his seat, he was sitting next to coach, head coach Tandy Gerald, and Tandy wasn't a Christian yet at that time. He eventually accepted Christ, but Coach uh, Gerald just kind of elbowed Hank and said, you better say something. All those guys thought that when they accepted Christ, they would win every football game. You better get up and say something. So Hank stood up at the front of the bus, and he looked down the, that aisle at all those long, silent rows. He said, guys, I think sometimes God tests us. Sometimes he wants to see if we're serious about our commitment. I want you to know something. If you only accepted Jesus because you wanted wins, if you thought he was a genie in a bottle, he's a good luck charm, he's just going to give you football success, then I want you to just get off this bus right now. You've got to decide right now before you get off this bus if you were really serious about accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior no matter what. And he just stood there and he watched them. And it, was, it seemed like an eternity. It was probably about 20 seconds. He's just looking at all of them. Somebody near the back of the bus goes, I'm still in. And then somewhere close to that guy, another guy said, I'm still in. And then someone else, I'm still in, coach. And then it just starts popcorning all through the bus. I'm in. I'm still in. And eventually, they're all chanting together, we're still in. We're still in. Are you in? Are you in for the first time? Are you in and still in? Here's what we're doing today. You know, we're going to just a moment. I'm going to pray, and we're going to share communion together. I want you to seriously have a conversation with God. Wherever you're at right now in your spiritual journey, just what does your next step look like? And then when we close the service out, we're going to just give you an opportunity to do whatever it is you need to do next. The best thing you could ever do is go from being a disciple of Jesus to being all-in Christian. And if you're there, stay there. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful that you've come to us and in the midst of our confusion and our darkness, the chaos, the things that we've just never been able to figure out, that you provided a way for us to, to see things in a new light, to even to be pulled out of that and to be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for coming here and setting us this incredible example, showing us this love and, and offering it to anyone. And we just open our hearts to you right now, and we ask you to help us have the courage and the commitment to do the right thing that we know that you're putting in our hearts. Holy Spirit, just convict us of where we need to change and uh, help us to trust you. And thank you for your love that prompted you to come here in the first place to save us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
you've been blessed to be here together in worship and thankful for all of you who are joining in online. And I would encourage you to continue to be thinking and be ready to take that next step. If you're newer here and uh, you're just still exploring things, I'm happy that you came and welcome. My name is Brian. I'd love to meet you after the service. And you feel free to fill out this welcome home card if you're newer here. And let's start a conversation. And uh, if you would like prayer, you can certainly fill this card out and put your prayer request on that, and we'll be as a church to pray for you. I'd even strongly encourage you just to stop by here over on this side of the room, and uh, let's just pray with you very quickly right now as well. So uh, together as a church, we just want to express the commitments that we're making in in our hearts right now. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, We're going to stand together, if you would just stand with me as we close this service out. And we're going to do something a little bit different with our benediction time right now. Whoever you are, wherever you are, if you are in with Jesus, in a moment I'm going to ask you to say, I'm in, or you can say, I'm still in. And if you're not ready for that, you can just stand there and just uh, be thinking about what it would take for you to be all in. And so then even after that, as the service is over, we're not done having this conversation. If you need to talk to someone more and to be baptized or to say, I'm in with this church, you just come on over here and we'll be over here and I'd love to talk with you and we'd love to help you do whatever it is your next step is. So I'm just going to ask you here together, Connection, are you all in? Amen. God, let's do it again. I just, I mean, it just encourages me so much. Connection, are we all in? Amen. God bless you all. Come on, let's talk together. Have a great day.